My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. Okay, this episode is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Not for you, though. You're going to be fine. It's going to be uncomfortable for me because I have to out myself about visiting something a bit unsavory. So my fascination with serial killers and their crimes comes with a heaping load of shame. Except for one instance. Ed Gein. It's still shame, it's just not a heaping load of it. See, it's not because his body count is low compared to other serial killers. He was convicted of one murder out of two that are possibly attributed to him. So not even really a serial killer, just a murderer. And see, see, it's statements like that that I'm going to know I'm going to step on that make me uncomfortable. Just a murderer. Um, he was a murderer. My shame load is also lowered with Ed Gein because most of his crimes were perpetrated on the unfeeling dead. And we'll get into that here in a bit. My fascination with Ed Gein, and the reason why I don't feel as bad about it, is that without him, we might not have Norman Bates, or Leatherface, or Buffalo Bill, or the Firefly family. Some of the most interesting and important horror films of all time might not exist if he wasn't around. He inspired Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. It was a book, obviously, before that, but the movie is what we all touch base with. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he was an inspiration for that. Silence of the Lambs, and a bunch of Rob Zombie films. And all these are amazing films. Two of them are some of my favorite films of all time, uh, Psycho and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those are like touchstones, very important pieces of film for me. And then, of course, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. I mean, that's a classic. It's an Oscar-winning movie. And then, you know, The Firefly Family is Rob Zombie's creation. And, you know, while that they've appeared in a few of his movies, Devil's Rejects is an absolute horror masterpiece. And again, one we might not have had if it wasn't for Ed Gein. Anyway, I'm getting off track. I'm supposed to be talking about a very perverse individual that's not Rob Zombie. But that's what's fascinating to me about Ed Gein, is he inspired all of these amazing works of art. So that type of fascination, not with his actual crimes and his actual person, it it, it means my shame load was only a mild one. (laughs) while I visited sites related to him in his hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, with my wife and my two young daughters. Let me give you some backstory on this guy. Ed Gein was born in 1906. His father, George, was an alcoholic. His mother, Augusta, she was overbearing and religious. And his brother, Henry, who was five years older than him, I don't know, a seemingly okay guy, I guess. (laughs) They don't really rip on him a lot in the um, biographies like they do his parents. The family lived on a farm outside of town in absolutely purposeful isolation. They didn't want to be near everybody. Uh, George, Ed Gein's father, died when Ed was in his 30s, and that left the Gein brothers to support the family uh, on their own with the odd job. Ed himself was a babysitter. Henry would die a few years later of a heart attack after a brush fire on the property. Some actually think that Ed Gein might have had a hand in him dying and it wasn't a heart attack, um, but the official story is that 
heart attack after brush fire. All that means is by the time Ed Gein was 40, it was just him and his mom. But as we all know, a boy's best friend is his mother, so that was all right. Even when she was paralyzed by a stroke soon after Henry's death. In fact, she only lived another year and a half after that. So within a short span of five years, Ed Gein lost his entire family. But don't worry, his mom comes back in the story. Okay, here Gain was, by himself, at the beginning of his middle age, very lonely, and he needed a hobby. And he found one, but it was one that would horrify the world and, like I said, rejuvenate the horror genre. So as we were going to Plainfield, I was rehearsing a story in my head. It was this story. I need a small Phillips head screwdriver, the kind that will open a battery compartment on a child's toy. That's the story I was rehearsing in my head as we drove past the Plainfield Town sign, population 862. See, I was headed to a hardware store downtown. I had three sites on my Ed Gein itinerary, and like I said, two little girls in the backseat to hide it all from. I mean, I had taken them, my whole family, to be mind-boggled that morning by Wisconsin's famous House on the Rock. So now it was my turn to be mind-boggled, although I was also mind-boggled by House on the Rock. That place is crazy. But, of course, not as crazy as Ed Gein. See, on November 16th, 1957, the owner of Warden's Hardware Store, Bernice Warden, disappeared. The police came, and according to the receipts, her last customer had been Ed Gein. It was a bright, blinking arrow right at him. Naturally, the police went to his house, and unnaturally, they found a house of horrors. So that hardware store represents the one victim he was convicted of killing. This is where he... Got her. This is where he filled her. And somehow, today, or at least 2016 back when I went, that hardware store is still a hardware store. Although these days it's called Hardware Hank, and it's been remodeled a bit, so the entrance is on a different side than back in Gaines Day. Uh, It's on Main Street, though. So we parked in the lot. I left my family in the car, and I went inside, and I had my alibi at the ready. See, I figured a small screwdriver from the old crime scene would be an interesting tchotchke on the shelf of my study. If somebody asked, why do you have a screwdriver on your shelf? I would just say, oh, that, I bought that at a murder scene. And then using it for a child's toy or the battery compartment on a child's toy, that proved that I was an innocent family guy to whomever was running that hardware store. Gein's telltale receipt had been for a jug of antifreeze. I wasn't about to tip my hand with that or even put something like that on my shelf. I walked in and there was a guy behind the counter in his maybe 20s, maybe early 30s, Um, the store was small, so it wasn't the kind of place you could walk in and avoid eye contact and just wander among the shelves and the pegboard walls. I gave him my line, and he escorted me to the appropriate shelf only a few steps from the counter. He said, I don't think we have a small screwdriver, but we do have this. And he pulled a small plastic box encasing a set of six precision screwdrivers off of a peg. It's not what I wanted at all. You know, it looked like something I'd put in my toolbox, just a plastic case full of precision screwdrivers. Nobody would ever ask me about a precision case full of screwdrivers. It would just look like I placed that on my shelf. But in his defense, it was perfect for opening the battery door on a child's toy. Just was. So I had to continue that ruse. Yeah, I said, I I think that'll work. Uh, And I might as well take this screwdriver here. And I grabbed a single big screwdriver off a neighboring peg. The kind you might be able to commit a murder with if you chose just the right soft spot on the human body. I didn't say why I wanted that one, and he didn't question me. I guess, in hindsight, why would he? He's there to sell screwdrivers. I wanted screwdrivers. So he cashed me out, and we made small talk. He seemed like a laid-back guy, the sort to whom I could confess my ulterior motive, or at least test him with, uh, do you have any antifreeze? I didn't, though, even if it meant me not learning how often people came here because of Ed Gein. 
Instead, I asked him how long it took to get to Appleton, Wisconsin, which is where we were going for dinner. Harry Houdini lived in that town, and I wanted to check it out. And then I left the hardware store for the next site, as the police had done 60 years before. Unlike the hardware store, though, what they found and what I found were two totally different things. The horrors in Gein's house included Warden's body. It was trussed upside down and headless in a shed. She had been shot with a rifle. It should have been the most traumatic discovery in the careers of those small-town policemen, but by that point of their visit, they had become somewhat inured. After all, scattered throughout this house were grisly craft projects. Chairs upholstered in human skin, bowls made from human skulls, a lampshade made from a human head, masks made from women's faces, a belt of female nipples. He was the Martha Stewart of serial killers. They say that idle hands do the devil's business, but apparently busy ones also do it. One of the faces they found belonged to a local tavern owner who had been missing for three years. Her name was Mary Hogan. At first, when they questioned Ed Gein, he admitted to killing her. But later, he went vague about the confession. Like I said, it wasn't needed for a conviction anyway. They just needed to prove he killed Warden. And her corpse was enough to prove that. They found her head in a bag in the house. The rest of his macabre materials came from various Plainfield cemeteries. See, he was mostly a ghoul. Possibly a cannibal, maybe a necrophiliac, but certainly a ghoul, and his victims are always female. That's, of course, because of his mother issues. The skin suit he made allowed him to become his mother, say they who know much more about abnormal psychology than I do. Interestingly enough, it seems like there are conflicting reports about whether he actually dug up his mother or not. Some reports say he did, and some reports just ignore it. That tells me that he didn't. So I don't, I'm not sure. I've dug around this a little bit. But I can't figure out if he actually, if his mother's body was one of his, I don't know, Michael store runs. But if he didn't, Robert Block would fix that part of the story with Psycho, having Norman Bates keep his mother's corpse in the house. Today, Ed Gein's house is no more. Someone at the time floated the idea of turning it into an attraction, so some holy arsonist stepped in with the devil's only friend. Today, the edge of his property is defined by the crossroads of Archer Avenue and 2nd Avenue, and that's where we were going. So basically, whoever burned down that house would hate that I was touring Ed Gein sites. And he's not alone. I kind of hated that I was doing it too. But it was this part of it was nice at least. There was no like awkward encounters with hardware clerks. It was just farmland and forest as far as the eye could see. It was It's on the outskirts of town. The two streets that meet there are hard-packed dirt roads. While we were there, we passed no cars. Saw no machinery moving across the fields, just stillness and dust that had been turned up by my car tires. I found the gate to the property a little further down 2nd Avenue. It was open, but just festooned with no trespassing signs. The trees along both avenues grew those signs like fruit, an entire orchard of no trespassing signs. All they needed was somebody harvesting and shipping all those to the stores. So we took some photos of that and left. Our final stop, though, was the real stop. Not the hardware store, not the edge of Ed Gein's property. It was... The cemetery. And for it, we headed back into town. Plainfield Cemetery on 5th Avenue is a microcosm of the Ed Gein story. It was one of the cemeteries that Gein robbed during his years-long midnight crime spree. Bernice Warden was put back together and buried there at the end of the spree. And all the Geins are there. George, Augusta, Henry, Ed. All in an awkward afterlife of a family reunion. It was easy finding Gein's grave. I just needed to find a row of three stones that looked like it should have been four and they were on a path in the middle of the cemetery that paralleled 5th Avenue. The blank space between Henry and Augusta Stone, that's Ed Gein's grave. It used to have a stone, just like he used to have a house, Um, but over the years it had been covered in magic marker graffiti and pitted for people chipping off pieces as souvenirs, 
in June of 2000, it went missing and was found a year later in Seattle, Washington, where a promoter for a band named the Angry White Males was using it as part of the tour and selling rubbings of it on his website. See, that's the kind of crowd that I feel like I would get lumped in for visiting the sites, and I don't want to get lumped in with that crowd. I just, that, that, see, this is me getting uncomfortable, uh, so I hope you're enjoying it. But that stone that the promoter for the Angry White Males stole was never put back. Instead, it was placed in storage somewhere. The cemetery people, or maybe the people of Plainfield, who knows, were like, this is not worth it. Let's just put this thing in storage so people will stop messing with it. But in our visit, it wasn't a blank space. Somebody had stuck a small styrofoam cross where his headstone would have been. It has his name on it and his birth and death years. It seemed like an extremely fresh planting since any amount of weather would have ruined it. Seeing his birth and death dates there right in front of me, I suddenly had a hunch, so I googled Gein's birth and death days. Turns out he died on July 26, which was the exact day that we were there in that cemetery. We had inadvertently arrived in Plainfield on the 32nd anniversary of his death. He died in prison at age 77 of cancer. If you see him in the arrest photos, it shows this grizzled middle-aged man in a plaid cap, kind that Elmer Fudd wore when hunting wabbits. Even the exotic serial killer name the media gave him, the Mad Butcher, just couldn't stick to him. See, we know Albert DeSalvo as the Boston Strangler. Dennis Rader, he's the BTK murderer. Paul Knowles, he's the Casanova killer. But Ed Gein is just Ed Gein. And that's it. That was the last spot on our itinerary. All checked off. And as we headed north toward Appleton and away from Plainfield, I thought about the story and the town and its resident monster. It all seemed so ordinary. Ordinary enough, in fact, that my kids didn't even ask me uncomfortable questions. They never got suspicious about what we were seeing. The hardware store was just a hardware store. The crossroads, just a crossroads. And the graveyard was just a graveyard. And my family visits those a lot. And Ed Gein, well, he's just dirt and bones, like everybody else. Except that he also lives on as Norman Bates, as Leatherface, as Buffalo Bill, as the Firefly Clan. It's a strange, strange legacy. And I still have that screwdriver on my shelf, behind my head, as I record this. Okay, I have photos from our tour of Ed Gainesville on my website. I will link to that in the show notes. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple Podcasts. Would love some stars there. If you want to support it, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash jwoker. Lots of perks for that Patreon. It's not just, you know, you give me money every month and hope I do a podcast. Uh, I do all kinds of stuff with the club. So please check that out. Support it if you like. It could be less than a dollar a month and you'll get some cool stuff. And my next book, The Smashed Man of Dread End, uh, all-ages horror novel. That is coming out August 17th. This has been an episode, a very twisted episode, of Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>